Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. There's something about looking at another human being that requires acknowledging their dignity. And that's something that folks who are living on the streets, who are on the street corner, um, on the margins of society, they are um, kind of confronted with this invisibility that people don't look at them. People divert their eyes. They don't really get acknowledged as human beings. And so here this church is um, kind of taking that concept and putting it on its head, taking folks who are on the margins of society whose stories are largely ignored, whose identities are, are forgotten, and they're putting those people in a giant fresco mural. And it's absolutely beautiful. You have to see it with your own eyes. From the Sistine Chapel to Da Vinci's The Last Supper fresco paintings are one of the oldest and most durable forms of artwork known to man. At the intersection of faith and art, Theirs is the Kingdom is a feature-length documentary that follows a rare creation of a contemporary fresco mural by Christopher Holt inside the sanctuary of a small church in North Carolina. Now, this fresco doesn't feature powerful or rich people, but people battling homelessness, addiction, and mental illness. We're joined today by Chris Zaleski. He is the director of Theirs is the Kingdom. He's going to share with us why he got involved with this film and what it was like to hear the stories of these people. Chris Lusky is our guest today. He's the director of Theirs is the Kingdom. This is a documentary that follows the rare creation of a contemporary fresco mural by Christopher Holt inside the sanctuary of a small church in North Carolina. So you're involved in this very interesting documentary. Had a chance to quickly check it out. It is extremely interesting. How did you get involved with this? Sure, sure. So I was living in Asheville, uh, North Carolina at the time, and, and Asheville is a small town in uh, the Appalachian Mountains, um, mostly known for uh, award-winning restaurants and breweries. Um, uh, but I was told about this fresco that they were thinking of painting in the sanctuary of a small church uh, on the outskirts of downtown, a church that primarily works with um, the homeless population, uh, folks in Asheville who are battling, um, you know, mental illness, addiction. And initially I was told about it because there was some funding controversy happening with the fresco. And I thought, oh, I want to see what this controversy is all about. And so I went down to the church one day. They were doing kind of a public dialogue. And the pastor of this church, the founding pastor, his name's Brian Combs, he did this uh, talk about what the fresco meant to him and what it meant to the church. And in the first five minutes of his talk, I knew that this was a bigger story than just the funding controversy. And so that part comes out in the film just briefly, but it's a much bigger story about the, the history of fresco and the folks who are actually depicted in this painting. What was it about what the pastor said that intrigued you so much? Yeah, he talks about, um, and he said this in the very beginning, and he also says this a couple times in the film, he says that um, it's, there's something about looking at another human being that requires acknowledging their dignity. And that's something that folks who are living on the streets, who are on the street corner, um, on the margins of society, they are um, kind of confronted with this invisibility that people don't look at them. People divert their eyes. They don't really get acknowledged as human beings. And so here this church is um, kind of taking that concept and putting it on its head, ta taking folks who are on the margins of society, whose stories are largely ignored, whose identities are, are forgotten, and they're putting those people in a giant 
fresco mural, you know, 20, 20 feet tall, 10 feet or 10 feet tall, 20 feet wide. Um, and I just thought the symbolism in that was really, really powerful. For you listening to other people's stories, you've said in your uh, letter from the filmmaker that that's changed your kind of mindset and even your approach to filmmaking as well as community and religion. So tell us a little bit about that, how the process changed for you through this. Sure, sure. So um, I, I have a background in, in journalism. I was a print journalist for a few years, and I was kind of um, trained to go into a, a, an interview or go into a shoot with kind of your list of questions, and you have, um, you know, your objective for what you want to get in that in that you know situation. Um, but a lot of the the filming sessions for this documentary were a, a lot slower, a lot more organic in how the information kind of unfolded. I would be sitting with the artist, Christopher Holt, as he sketched uh, some of the models, and those sessions would last, you know, two, three, four hours. And I would just sit there and listen to their stories. And the, the folks who are depicted in this fresco are, are real people in the Asheville community who are, you know, maybe living on the streets. Uh, maybe battling addiction. And so I didn't really have an agenda. I didn't have set questions. I just sat there and I listened to their stories. And some of them are, you know, really heartbreaking. Some of them are, are really hopeful. Um, but it kind of changed my uh, perspective of filmmaking and that uh, just sitting with people and hearing what they had to say and not having an agenda on my end um, actually, I think, allowed people to open up and 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 maybe trust me a little bit more and, and be a little bit more honest and vulnerable with what they were saying. So that's certainly something from a, from a filmmaking standpoint. Um, in that filmmaker statement, I also mentioned religion. I, I, was, um, I was raised Catholic and I, um, when I left for college after high school, I kind of stopped going to church. Um, and part of that was um, I didn't really see the, 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 the things that I had read and, and learned in, in, in church growing up, I didn't see that into practice in, in, mm. in real world. And so one thing that really attracted me about what Haywood Street Congregation is doing um, is kind of this idea of faith through action. And that's something that really appealed to me. And so, um, you know, that, that has changed kind of my view of religion and I, and I support what Haywood Street's doing. I think that regardless of, you know, whether or not you are a person of faith, I think that what they're doing for the homeless population in Asheville and the whole Appalachian region in Western North Carolina um, is, is pretty amazing and, and pretty innovative. And I think it's something that a, a lot of cities can learn from. I think a lot of people could learn from what you said about how your filmmaking's changed too. Like you just sat with them without an agenda and so many of mm. us would do well, especially <laughs> those of us of faith so often, when we try to get to know people, we might have an agenda, whether it's converting them or something else, right? But just sit and listen to their story, and that does something to them. Did you notice a change in the subjects, like the people who were being painted? Did, did you see a change in them through this process? Oh, yeah. I, I think that there's something really powerful about seeing yourself depicted um, in a way that you've never imagined yourself you know, being shown. And, and so in this case, as a, as a large scale public mural, um, you know, it's amazing to see people who, especially because there was a lot of, um, you know, I think in any documentary, there's a process of building trust. And so this was twofold because the artist, Christopher Holt, was trying to convince people to do the fresco. And then I kind of came in and said, hey, also, do you want to be in a documentary? That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of trust. And so, 
I think that it was a, it was a, a process where they a, a lot of them. <clears throat> so there's 30 folks depicted in the fresco. About 11 of them are in the film, um, but a, a lot of them had to warm up to the idea of being in fresco, and then also had to warm up to the idea of being a film. And it's a long process. And so I think when it's all said and done, and they see themselves on the wall, it is a it is a transformational experience. And the the very last scene in the film there's an exhibit that the North Carolina Museum of Art did to kind of commemorate this fresco. And it, um, it's really powerful to see the models come into this, you know, fine arts gallery and see their portraits up on the wall. And it's, it's, a, it's emotional and it's moving. And, it, you know, I, I do believe it's transformational. And so the art does that. And, you know, my hope with the documentary is that I could capture a little bit of that. I mean, it's tough to, it's tough to, to do justice to this to, to this fresco in the documentary, but um, I, I do think that there's a level of permanence both with the artwork and the film, and I hope that the the, the folks who are depicted in the fresco can kind of um, you know feel feel honored in that way. You mentioned that there are eleven stories in this documentary. Is there one story that really has just stuck with you to this day? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think. Um, I think that uh, there's, you know, every time I, I mean, all the stories kind of are, are um, important to the film and important to me. And I think that um, one thing that the artist says in the film is that he, his big concern was in the leaving out and not being able to include everybody in the fresco. And I certainly had that feel, feeling in the, in the film as well. And so my hope is that within each one of these stories, folks can see themselves or, or, you know, kind of empathize with a portion of, of a person's story. Um, but I'll, I'll talk specifically about the very last model who's featured in the film. His name's Jerry, and he has just a really heartbreaking story of abuse and, and homelessness and um, going to jail a number of times. And he was somebody who was hard to convince to be in the fresco and was even harder to convince to be in the film. Um, but one day as I was filming, the fresco kind of said, all right, let's let's film today. And so kind of, you know, grabbed the camera and 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 sat with him for about an hour and a half. And he just kind of opened up and told this really um, powerful story that ends up, in my opinion, kind of being the emotional climax of the film. And, um, and it was interesting. I, th I think that it was somewhat therapeutic for him, but also after that experience, you know, he, he was around a lot more and he felt he was comfortable enough to tell me, you know, what he thought I should film in different places. And he was just mm -hmm. kind of, he opened up, you could tell. And, um, certainly when he sees himself in the museum in the last scene, um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, you know, to, to hear his story and then see him, you know, see him seeing himself in a way that he never thought that he would be depicted is, is just really powerful. And so I could talk about each one of the interviews, but I, I I'll, I'll use Jerry here. It, it was a really powerful experience. You have all these different stories. Like you have the individual subjects, you have the congregation of Haywood street, uh, you've got the artist, the pastor. How do you balance all that in telling that story and bring it all into one thing? Yeah, the, it, it was a, you know, it was a process. I mean, I think that the film had a lot of iterations. Um, I knew from the beginning that I was really attracted to the idea of this this art form that wasn't really practiced that much anymore. And here's this artist who's kind of carrying on this tradition. And so for the first, you know, while I thought that was going to be the majority of the film, but then the more I met the models and heard their stories, that was just such an important part of the film as well. Um, and then, as you mentioned, kind of the theology of Haywood Street and Reverend Brian Combs and kind of 
providing enough of a of a um, you know backing to why they're doing this because it's really an important part of the film. But yeah, I mean it's a tough one to answer. Right? There's there's not really a good there's not really a, a science to it. it. I the very last shoot took place on March fifth, twenty twenty. So I spent a lot of time in my basement editing the film <laughs> and it went through a lot of different versions and it's pretty much how I at least uh, spent the first part of COVID in 2020. And so I, I uh, spent a lot of time sending cuts to people and getting folks' opinions and trying to find a balance between those three really important storylines and kind of weaving them together was the, was the big challenge. Now that you're sharing this documentary with a bigger audience, what has been the biggest challenge when it comes to that? Yeah, well, well, I mean, one thing that's not really challenging, but just been really uh, encouraging has been the response. I mean, people have been really moved and, and have seemed to really have enjoyed the film, which which means a lot. Um, you know, my hope is that more folks learn about Haywood Street and could, you know, if you're ever in that area, can visit the fresco and just kind of hear about the really amazing work that, that they're doing. Um, one, one challenge has been, I mean, the, the film was officially started being released in 2021 at film festivals, which are um, notoriously non-faith-based audiences. Um, and now in 2022, um, it's been a really good mixture. We've done a lot of like community uh, screenings at individual churches and individual congregations um, and other faith-based organizations. And so I think sometimes, um, you know, people watch the film and this happens with any movie, uh, and you, you bring a little bit of yourself to everything that you watch. And so some people see this and they, and they're, they think this is a a fantastic faith-based film. And just that phrase can turn off a lot of people who maybe are the, the very ones that need to watch this film the most. And so it's kind of balancing that idea of what is a quote Christian film, uh, what is a quote faith-based film, and who and who is that for? Um, that's something I think in the last you know month or two that has been kind of a challenge is trying to say like this is a film for anybody, whether you're a person of faith or not. I think there's a lot of things in here that that should and could resonate with you, um, and it's trying to find you know the right audience within a pretty broad range has been kind of challenging. But but I will say though the the vast uh, majority of the experiences with sharing this film out there and, and watching it with folks and seeing people's reactions has been um, overwhelmingly positive and it's just made the whole experience worth it. Maybe a lot of people that see this are kind of like you, right? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe not necessarily <laughs> yeah. full of faith anymore, right? Um, but then they see this faith in action and mm-hmm. certainly gives them something to stop and think about when they see it lived out how it was meant to be lived out. Yeah, I think that's um, that's my hope. That's my hope is that it, it kind of meets people where they are, whether they have never been a person of faith or maybe they're questioning their faith. Like I think a lot of people are and or or they are, you know, really set in their faith. And this is something that kind of affirms that. I, I think that this film can do a little bit of that for everybody. Um, that's certainly the goal. I mean, from from my standpoint, that's definitely the goal. Moving forward, what's next for you? Oh, well, I have a few other projects that are really early, early days in terms of uh, what we call pre-production. Um, but right now, I'm just really focused on trying to get this film out there. Um, you know, it takes just as much effort to get the film out into the world as it does to make the film. <laughs> so <laughs> I really want to focus and put the put the energy and time into it at this point. Um, 
and really see that it gets out there and it has as wide of an audience as it as it possibly can. How do we get our hands on the film right now then, uh, especially up here in Canada? What are the best ways? Yeah, the best ways would be um, Apple TV and Google Play. Both of those, um, the film is in, in both of those uh, 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 platforms. Um, and so you have access to those in Canada and you can uh, rent or purchase the film uh, both of those places. And then hopefully in the next week or two, it'll be on Amazon and a few other streaming platforms. But right now, Apple TV and Google Play are the, are the two main ways to watch it. And if people want to learn more about this documentary or learn more about you, how can they go about doing that? Sure. Uh, the, the website is theirsisthekingdomfilm.com. And we have a section on there that just um, uh, promotes uh, new ways to watch it when, when there are uh, you know, additional streaming platforms that come out. Um, most of it is broadcast, which is for a U.S. audience for, with PBS. But um, yeah, that, that's probably the best way to, to go to the website. There's is the Kingdom Film, or on Instagram, it's just at There's is the Kingdom. So we promote a lot on, on both of those platforms. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.